Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Good morning, Kayla. How are you this morning? I'm good, Lori. Good morning. So what are we going to talk about today? All right. So I've been thinking about how the kind of larger picture of allies in recovery and how to use this craft-based model. And one of the the analogies I've been using is dancing, which sounds ridiculous because we're in crisis and how do you dance when you're in a crisis? But to me, there's different moves that you can make with all of dancing, with partner dancing, and I need to specify this is partner dancing. What happens is that you're stepping forward and stepping back. Sometimes you step to one side and sometimes you step to another side. But basically what's happening is that you are using different steps at different times based on what's going on and where you are in the dance. And instead of it being prescribed, like many dances are, this is more this fluid dancing where you are thinking at this moment, what's the best step for me to use right now? And how do do I want to move towards or step away? Do I want to step to the side or be in the middle of things? And I think that what happens is that when you're dealing with crisis or when you're dealing with somebody whose behavior is can be difficult, a lot of times we go in and we do the same thing all the time. And what we want to talk about is how you want to actually have different moves at different times. and and good dancers actually get a sense, uh, a kind of this secondary sixth sense of what's the best move to make it th- at this particular time. And that's what we're really doing with Allies in Recovery is we're trying to increase your awareness and your consciousness of what's the next right move. And instead of it being a panic kind of chaotic thing, it's a more thoughtful, interactive way of being with this other person. I love this because... In my groups, I also use this kind of dance analogy. And I think that the original dance that we're talking about, so the dance that we already engage in is that prescribed dance because we continue with the patterns, if that makes sense. We're doing this dance like we always did. I'm going to follow this step. You're going to do that step. And everything is going to stay the same. And I I think you're right. I think with craft, craft is saying, okay, let's change the dance up. Let's make it a more fluid dance. And it's not as prescribed. You're not going to follow those patterns anymore. You're going to change the dance up. And I think it actually the dance in the beginning, if you're not good at it, the dance isn't going to flow very nicely. You're going to step on a lot of toes. Yeah, you're going to step on a lot of toes. And that's a really interesting analogy for this, because I feel like the old dance has, if you're listening to this podcast as a family member or, you know, the person who is not dealing with the substance use, you probably see yourself as the leader of this dance. 
You're frustrated that the other person's not leading. So you're going to step in and you're going to lead. And if you think about what leaders do in dance is that even very gently, they're kind of pushing you around. (laughs) They're like, they're making the decisions. They're making all the moves. The leader is the one that tells the other person what the next step is. And what we're saying in, in this model is step out. You're not actually leading. You're more not just following, but you are going to be influencing without leading. Because if you're leading, and it's really important that we talk about this leading piece, because when we're talking about this dynamic, we're talking about leadership in the old fashioned model. The old pattern is that you're giving the person advice. You're always asking them what they're doing and if they're doing the right thing and if they've made this follow-up phone call and if they're using and you're watching and interacting directly if they've used. And it's this very almost aggressive process is the way I would do it. And the other person gets put in this position of being defensive and pushing you away. So it looks like you're trying to help them, but they see you as trying to make, to force them to do things. So that's what the leadership in the old model looks like, is that you're trying to help, but really the other person feels like you're pushing them around. And that is not a good model for dancing. Right, right. And I would also argue that actually both in the original dance, that prescribed dance, both partners are jockeying for a leadership position. That's how I see it. Both are jockeying for a leadership position. And that's why you end up with so much chaos and so much crisis, right, going on. And once that one person gives up, no, I'm not going to fight for leadership. Fine, I'll follow you. Go ahead. You tell me what steps are going to what we're going to do. And I'll I'll follow along, but I'll still do the dance with you. Who, who are you talking about in this case? I'm talking about the loved one. Let the loved one kind of take the leadership role. in the dance. Okay. And the supporter is just supporting in the dance. Yes. And so in this analogy, what we're saying is the loved one who's been dealing with the difficult issues, that if you step back, then they naturally step into their power, whether it's used for good or not. If they step forward into their power and you're you're having an interaction with them, then you get to respond to them differently. And when you look at the craft model, what we're doing is that's why we say focus on the positive, because if they're taking their power and they do one microscopic thing powerfully in a good way, then you're going to watch that and say something about it or do something about it and reinforce it. And that's a good thing. If they're doing something that's harmful to them, then you're going to step back and allow for their own natural consequences and not save them or rescue them or yell at them because that's the old leadership is that you're saving or rescuing or doing something about it as opposed to just allowing them, as we like to say, the dignity of their own process. And it allows people to evolve in this way where when they are in a desperate strait, they might have a possible ask for you. They might be willing to get help. They may be more interested in help if you allow the natural consequences. But it's very hard to be a loved one and watch that happen. For one thing is you don't want anything terrible to happen to them. And the other reason is because your life is hooked in with theirs and bad things happen in your life when they are not doing well. Natural consequences sound like a lovely, wonderful 
Oh yeah. I'll allow for natural consequences, but in the case of addiction, natural consequences are actually a very scary, scary, scary world to be in and absolutely not easy to pull off. So let me ask you this. How do you decide what skills you're going to use in the dance? Like, how do you get into craft and figure out what skills should I use? Because I'm just kind of asking this question because I was talking to someone actually yesterday about reflective listening. And I know that's not a, that's an added piece on the allies and recovery website, because actually reflective listening is not one of the craft protocols, but they said, oh, I haven't had to use reflective listening with my loved one because things are going well, but I've used it at work. And I found that very interesting because that just kind of tells me, oh, reflective use, <laughs> listening can be used everywhere all the time. And that it's not necessarily a strategy that you have to do a lot of thinking about. You can use it anywhere. So I'm like really curious, how do people pick what strategy they're going to use when it comes to craft? You, you got any ideas on that, Kayla? I'm going to back it up a little bit, which I think they you can't use any of the strategies until you make them into a practice in your life because you're going to be lousy at it unless it's a practice. It's like a piano. If you sit down and play the piano the first time, if you're good at it, then you're a prodigy, which is great. But I haven't witnessed that in this in this analogy because I feel like all of it needs to be second nature to you. So active listening, the only reason that I could do active listening as well as I do is because I use it all the time. And you've heard the scenario when my baby was sitting in the back seat and she was hysterical crying and I started doing it there. Okay. So this is, and I'm going to tell you really quickly, because I think this is the good practice of it. She was hysterical crying. We had a long drive and it was the darn car seat facing backwards, which makes me crazy. Wait a minute. She's 18 now. So we're over that. (laughs) She now drives me around with me be sitting backwards. Or she wishes. But basically, she started to cry. And I basically said, oh, it sounds like you're having a hard time back there. Is that right? And she's like. And then I said, I imagine that that it's really hard for you to be locked in this car seat and driving for so long and feeling trapped. Is that right? So she's she's de-escalating. And then I was like. I'm assuming that what you really want is for us to be out of the car where you could crawl around and stretch out and be home and play with your toys and just relax. Is that right? So you could hear it gets less and less and less. And and then the last thing I did was summarize. So here you are, you're sitting in the car, you're really upset about being trapped. You want to be home. You want to be stretching out. You don't want to be locked in the car. And this is really hard for you and you can't wait to be home. And then there was silence. And I said, I just want you to know that makes total sense to me because for me, I had the validation piece. It makes sense that you don't want to be in the car, that you want to be home. That makes total sense to me. And then she was peaceful for the rest of the ride. And it was that all of us want to be tuned into, understood, have our experience understood and reflected back. It's not just, yes, I understand, I understand, Anson. That is not it. It's about really being specific about what that person is saying to you and that you hear them. Not that you understand it, but that you hear them. And then validating that what their experience is makes sense to you. And, and I feel like 
if you could practice that on a regular basis all the time, it will change your life. And that it changes the lives of everybody around you. And then it becomes second nature, which is like every tool that we talk about in allies can be used everywhere. So there's reflective listening. There's allowing somebody the dignity of their own process, which means that you are not telling people what to do and you're not shoving people around that you're allowing people to make their own choices. Very difficult when you feel like people are making terrible choices, but it's the beginning of a process. There's other things of self-care, like that if you're reactive, that you step back and give yourself a chance to take care of yourself. So when you step back in, you're not reactive and that you're coming from this calmer place where you're able to think straight. Which I would like to add in there because you said something last week in last week's podcast that I want people to understand about self-care. You And I've been touting this, Kayla, and all of the rest groups. I'm like, Kayla Solomon said this last week, and it it just makes so much sense. Self-care, you said something last week, you said self-understanding. And I'm like, that's it. That is self-care, is learning to understand yourself and why you are reacting the way you are to your loved one. And so once you understand that, it kind of calms everything down and gives you the opportunity to then respond in a way that's more helpful rather than just kind of freaking out and and not knowing where to go and falling into old patterns. And so I, I kind of want to add that in there. Well, I think we should put that as a primary tool because all of the work that when I think about all of this allies work and craft work, it's that there's things that we do that we don't understand. We're just reacting. And it's just this visceral response to what's going on. We're just like, okay, we're going to react. Oh my God, I'm panicked. Oh my God, this is terrible. I have to do something. And what self-understanding is about is slowing things down and being interested and curious about yourself. Okay, what's this triggering for me? What's my wildest fear? You know, what am I trying to make happen here? What what am I afraid is going to happen if I don't do this? So it's really, it's this very engaged process that I think is the most important thing. And actually that answers the question, Lori, which is what's the first step? The first step is to step back and, you know, and really look at yourself and try to kind of process what's going on. So you're not just spewing information. And yeah, the other day I do brain spotting, which is a trauma treatment and Literally, this is a treatment where the therapist is completely silent and just witnessing the person going through this particular process. And I remember that one of the things that we've learned in that is they have this expression, wait, which I think should be our main thing, which is, why am I talking? (laughs) And I think that that's (laughs) a great place to start with this. It's like, if you could just every time something is going on before you speak, You ask yourself, why am I talking right now? And slow things down and answer that for yourself first. Then I think it's a great place to go. And then you go into the understanding yourself. It's like, what am I afraid of? What do I want to make happen here? And if you're asking yourself, why am I going, what do I want to make happen? You need to look at, do I even have any control over this situation? Because making something happen implies control, which I think we've all learned from this craft process that we have only control over ourselves. Right. So the biggest education I've gotten from doing this work is turn your eyes around to yourself. Okay. So you're looking at yourself all the time. Why? What am I trying to make happen? 
then I need to look at what my intention is. And is this possible right now? I think it's really important to understand because I have to say this, this was one of the things that I found incredibly frustrated and frustrating in Al-Anon and Naranon meetings. Everybody kept saying, just take care of you, just focus on you, just, and I totally agree with that. But what I want other people to understand, what I want our families, our listeners to understand is that by focusing on your behavior, you're having a huge impact on the people around you because your loved one's behavior absolutely impacts you to think that your behavior doesn't impact your loved one would be incorrect. Of course, we are interactive human beings. And so if I change my behavior, my loved one has no choice but to change their behavior. Just like the dance, bringing it back to the dance. If I change one of my steps in the dance and I do something differently, right? I change what I'm doing. My loved one has to change their steps. They might trip and stumble a little bit. They might not quite like, what are you doing? You're changing the dance on me. I'm used to the prescribed dance. I want the prescribed dance. And you're like, well, you know what? I was uncomfortable with that step. So I'm changing it. Now I'm using this step. They have to adjust in some way and way or another. Now, I also know that the fear is, is that they'll disconnect completely or something drastic will happen. And those are all very real fears and real anxieties. But those things, those fears and anxieties can happen in the prescribed dance as well. Absolutely. And I think that we think that the prescribed dance is the only choice that we have because that's what we know. That's what's familiar. It feels like that's what we do. What we're saying is learn new steps so that you can change the dance. And we can't answer all those questions right now because we have a lot of tools that we're talking about. And so that's why we want you to go and get on the site so that you could actually learn the tools. And then the more you calm your system down, the more you'll know when to step in. But if the first step always is looking at yourself and being aware of what you're feeling and and how anxious you are and what you need at that moment, and then really trying to take care of that part of yourself, then you will have a much better next step. Because that that gives you uh, time and space to make better choices and decisions. And I, I say, get on the website, watch one of the videos. One of the most basic things that you can do is you can change how you communicate with your loved one. Get on the website, pick one. I mean, there's loads of different skills in that communication module that you can start working with. It doesn't have to be reflective listening. I say... One of the easiest ones is to start using I statements instead of you statements. Turn everything around to I statements instead of you and try that for a week. Do it for two weeks, then go to understanding statements. Well, it makes sense to me that you would feel you would think that. Well, I I hear you. Yep. I can I could understand how you might think something like that, or you might, you know, have those feelings. And just spend a couple of weeks doing that. Then spend a couple of weeks doing I statements and understanding statements, right? But pick something, start with it, and practice, practice, practice. Because yeah. if you don't practice, it just doesn't happen. 
we just did a recording and, and it's going to be coming out soon where some people are learning reflective listening. And we actually practice in this recording. And I think listeners are going to get a lot out of it because you'll see how awkward and how difficult it was, you know, to do this reflective listening and to practice the reflective listening, even when it was just, it was already laid out. The whole scenario was laid out. People aren't being surprised by anything. And it was still very difficult to do, which is why I say you've got to practice, practice, practice. We are not comfortable with this stuff. We haven't done it. We need to practice. It's like soccer. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing that I think is interesting about reflective listening is it's not just like, oh, it sounds like you're upset with me. We're talking about, okay, so what you're saying is that there's a gang that you didn't pay for your drugs and the gang is coming to get you and you're going to be dead in 10 minutes if I don't send you money. Is that what you're saying? Like, that sounds like a crazy thing to reflect because the person's like, oh my God, they're chasing me. But by doing that, you're slowing down time and the person knows that you heard them. And is it going to have a positive effect? No, but what it does is it, it allows you to be doing something in the in this crazy conversation that's not just like, you know, oh, well, screw you or, you know, you know, let me come in and save you. It it gives you time to actually back it up and and then know what next tool you're going to use. That's what I like about reflective listening is it gives me something to do. It actually slows down time and it actually allows the other person to hear themselves, which they need to do because they're like, going, and I'm allowing the person to hear their story because even if it's a lie, which it often is, then they get to hear the lie back and possibly hear how insane it sounds. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But all of the tools that we talk about is about slowing down time, because if you are reacting quickly it doesn't matter what tool you're using, it's probably not going to be effective because that's reactivity. It's like shoving somebody around on the dance floor. And when you start to use these skills, right? Like when you start to, let's say you pick I statements, I'm going to use I statements all, you know, the next week. You have to stop because you're so not, you're so not comfortable with it. You have to stop and think in the middle of the conversation. And just doing that does a couple of things. One, it slows it down. And two, it draws your attention away from the problem and it gets you solving another problem. How am I going to say this using an I statement versus focusing on all this other stuff? Well, and one of the favorite I statements of people in our that are doing the craft model is I'm not comfortable with that. Yep. And so if you'd say nothing else, if you're getting a request that you're not interested in or that you're afraid of or you don't want to do, I'm not comfortable with that is a full statement. And it doesn't matter that the person's upset with you. That's enough. That's like a no, a no, which, by the way, being able to say no to somebody is part of the tools in the toolbox. It's one of the tools you get to say no. And it's OK because you're saying no for you, not because of them. No means that I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. And, and also, like, I love I statements anyway, because you can take anything and everything. All you have to do is think anytime you're saying because of you, you did this, you did it. Uh, if you turn it around, I'm uncomfortable with um, all of your friends here making such a big mess. It's got nothing to do. It, I'm not pointing my finger. I'm not accusing. I'm not right. I'm turning it about, around. And this is how I'm feeling. I, I, I. 
I love I statements. I actually happen to think it's one of the easiest tools in the toolbox is turning everything into I statements. Yep. So the more you practice that, the better. The one complicated piece I think about I statements is an I feeling statement. A lot of families are scared to make a statement about their difficult feelings and also struggle to identify their own feelings themselves. So if you want to know more, come to a rest meeting because we do we discuss this. Or you could come to one of the skills group that's on the website as well, because we also go over this in there. And remember that with all the tools that we're talking about, you want to start with practice and starting with the basics. You're not going to be the advanced tool user at first because that's ridiculous. You have to build up these tools. So you start in non-threatening situations and practice it. And that's true for everything that we're, we're suggesting that you do. And that what happens is that assume you're going to make mistakes then you process afterwards with yourself or somebody or in the groups and think about like what went well and what you would have done differently. And don't beat yourself up for making mistakes. You are not supposed to be good at this at the beginning, but we're highly encouraging you to practice different. It's kind of like dancing. Once again, it's like when you first learn a particular dance, the assumption is not that you're going to be good about it. You're going to be stepping on toes. You're going to be stumbling. You're going to be leaving things out. It's going to look awkward. And every time you practice it, you get better at it. So that's the work. And again, my particular obsession is that you are modeling behavioral change. And so by making a commitment and making a decision to doing things differently, which is how this whole dance analogy began, we're not doing traditional cultural dances here where you want to stay, you know, have fidelity to what it, where it began. We are talking transition and change. So you're basically taking the, the dance that you've always done, looking at it, keeping the pieces that work. And then adding new steps or changing things completely so that you are in, you are creating this brand new dance with your loved one where they have a different role and you have a different role. And that is extremely liberating because people are naturally defensive and naturally reactive and naturally rebellious. And so by changing the dance and by you not pushing somebody around or leading the dance, they get to lead and then you get to respond in the way that feels good to you. Well, this was another great conversation, Kayla, and I look forward to our next conversation. So can you just kind of give us a quick summary or you kind of did? I kind of did. But the, basically the idea is with our dance analogy, change your role in the dance, learn new steps, and then you're going to practice where the steps fit in but you need to learn them first and you need to be patient with yourself and see it as a process. And if there's any part of you that could be excited about learning something new and not just dreading this, that's always helpful. Well, thank you. Take care. Have a great week. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.